welcome back to the Give and Go. I'm your co-host Reynoso here with my boy Soltero. What's up, guys? A major, major shout out to the city of Los Angeles. Absolutely. To California, who showed us nothing but love when the Give and Go went and visited Los Angeles, went and visited LA Galaxy to go see a match there in person to experience a game. And we got so much support from people that watch the show, people that listen to the show, people that watch our reels and our shorts. So many people came up to us and just showed us love, man. And I just want to give a major, major shout out and thank you to Christina and Nelson from LA Galaxy, Eli Lesser, who featured on the podcast, Urban Pitch, who showed us a great time on their pod, as well as afterwards just going out and having a great time. Overall, LA was incredible, and I just want to show some appreciation towards them and the city because it was awesome, man. It was awesome to see the impact that having this podcast has had Shooting here in our living rooms and going as far as to showing up on fucking Spotify and being in their studio shooting an episode. Overall, an amazing experience. I just want to say thank you. Ditto to all the sentiments that you just laid out, brother. Big shout out to every single component, person, organization that you just labeled. Uh, LA was awesome, man. It was a really nice trip and we met so many great people out there who share the same love of football that we do. So it was absolutely amazing to be able to have that interaction, man. Truly, truly amazing. But, you know, it's it's nice to be back home. It is. It's really nice to be it back is. home, you know. Going on a big trip like that can get a little distracting, but I didn't realize how much I missed, you know, our little home studio here, man. Yes. It's been two weeks, but now finally we get to talk footy. Finally. Let's talk football, bro, because it really does feel like it has been ages since we've had a traditional episode. So listeners out there, let's strap in because we got a lot to we talk lot. about, man. We, we have got a lot. lot. I mean, I'm so curious to know your reaction about Joao Felix going to Atletico Madrid. I'm so curious to talk about Champions League, Colo Muani going to PSG, yeah. Jude Bellingham continuing on his show, Copa Libertadores, Ansu Fati to Brighton. There's so much to look forward to in this episode. There's so much to mm-hmm. anticipate. But where do you want to lead us first? Where do you want to take us? So before we get into any of the matches, I actually want to throw some numbers at you, bro. I've been doing some of my own research lately because I've been trying to quantify a sentiment that I've been noticing in viewers at home. I think it's a sentiment that you'd be familiar with if you're an avid listener of this podcast. So in La Liga, only seven clubs purchased a player that was worth $10 million or more. Mm -hmm. Only seven clubs. Mm -hmm. And I'm also including any sort of deal that that made a loan move permanent. So, for example, Antoine Griezmann was actually on loan last year at Atletico, but this past summer we made the deal permanent and we ended up paying Barcelona $20 million for him, right? So I'm also including that. Only seven clubs in La Liga managed to buy a player that was worth $10 million or more. That means 13 clubs... If they purchased anybody at all, they were not worth more than $10 million. Now, obviously, the Premier League is a monster of its own, so I'm not even going to look at that. Let's go to Serie A, Italy. Okay. Yeah, how they do? 14 clubs managed to buy a player that was worth $10 million or more in Italy. Oh, wow. Literally double the amount of wow. teams have that much purchasing power over their exact same counterparts in Spain. And, you know, what I meant by the sentiment that I had been feeling for a while is... I think La Liga is on some sort of decline. Now, I want to be very clear here, too. The football played in Spain is phenomenal. It's immaculate. It still is top three leagues in the world, and there's no question about that. But it's, it's one thing that I've noticed over the last couple of years, though, is that I think football in Spain is it's just losing a little bit of something. And 
overall, my conclusion at looking at these numbers and also just the eye test on what I see on a weekly basis in La Liga and in Serie A is that there are more coveted talent in Italy than in Spain right now. Madrid, I would say, is probably like that only exception. And then you can also include in Barcelona. But overall, I think the wealth of talent is way more distributed and dispersed in Italy. And not only that, but Italy actually just replaced the Bundesliga for the third best league in Europe this Co- year. Coefficient-wise? Coefficient-wise, wow. wow. yeah. So Germany, the Bundesliga is now in fourth position. Yeah. Italy has now moved their way up to that third place position. Spain's still in second. But my point is, is that I think over the next couple of years... Italy, if not already, is going to be right on par with Spain. I think the Prem is, you know, they're going to keep going up and up and up all the way to the moon, bro. But Spain and Italy, I think, are going to be battling it out for that second place spot. And I think it's because, for some reason, bro, the economy, the footballing economy in Italy is just, it's just better. It's more right now. And, you know, just that old adage of if money's moving, it's, you know, good for you economically. And I think that's what's happening in Italy because I don't understand why there isn't as much purchasing in Spain, purchasing power in Spain anymore. I really don't understand it. But 14 clubs versus seven. That's an enormous difference. You know, a mid-table team in Italy is able to buy a $15 million player and their La Liga counterpart, the 10th, 11th place position team, can't. They're not doing that. So right now, I think there's actually more talent going in and also out of Italy Mm -hmm. than in Spain. Mm -hmm. So I think it's actually, it's, it's, it's coming to be like a really interesting battle between the two leagues. Who's going to be on top? Either way, though, they both play incredible football. And like I said, what I mean by Spain declining, I just mean declining from the summit of Barcelona and Real Madrid in the mid-2010s, yeah. which was one of the highest yeah. summits that any club has ever reached. So that's what I mean by declining. But nonetheless, though, if you're a fan of Italian football, bro, you got to be really excited because there's so much talent. There's so many good players just in pretty much every single team from like first all the way to like 14th, 15th place, bro, there's at least something to, you know, acknowledge or to be really amazed about at least one player. So I think it's really cool what Italy's been able to do. And it's really interesting because it's just, it's that ebb and flow of leagues going up and down, going through the peaks and crevices of the success just through time, bro, because... Italy for the longest time, bro, between like 2010, basically after Inter Milan won the Champions League with Jose Mourinho, basically right after that, Spain took over and Italy took the back seat for the, la- for the, for the past 12 years, man. And so now like, finally, Italy's back. I mean, dude, I remember during Juve's big dominance, both Milan clubs, Roma, Lazio, dude, they couldn't buy anybody. They were struggling with debt. They just couldn't figure it out. They weren't moving money. But now all of a sudden, dude, look at Milan's transfer window this past year. Oh my God, man. They completely upgraded in every single position out on that pitch. And you can say the same thing about Inter Milan. Inter Milan getting, you know, Marcos Turam, right? An incredible player from Borussia Mönchengladbach. What a pick that is. But you could look, go down the list. Napoli yeah. just won the Scudetto, but they were managed to get some really decent reinforcements this year. And I'm just not really seeing that same one-to-one comparison Mm-mm. when I look in Spain. Mm-mm. So... 
again, if you're a really big fan of Italian football, I think this is going to be an exciting like next five years because I just think the talent's going to get better and the hype for it's going to get even bigger too, bro. So yeah, I mean, the overall conclusion here is I'm still going to be watching Spanish soccer for sure. But, dude, I think I'm going to start consuming more Italian football, man. It just gets me excited. I've already, I already have, and we'll get into that later. But I think Italian football is on a really cool rise right now. Yeah, absolutely. I think I saw a statistic that said or that exposed how much Barcelona has actually spent. They've only truly bought one player this offseason because yeah. the rest have been free transfers and guys like Ilkay Gundogan and then loan deals. But they only spent like five mil, I think, or it's a very low number on one player, so much so that it's the least they've spent in a transfer window in over 20 years, bro. It's Whoa. ridiculous yeah. what Barcelona has gone through themselves financially. But the criticism I'm hearing all around from frustrated Madrid fans, frustrated Barca fans, frustrated Atletico Madrid fans when it comes to the freedom to buy and purchase players is a criticism aligned with the ownership group of La Liga. I don't know the specifics. Mm. I just know that the way they manage the situation over there economically, it's essentially their own fault. They're shooting themselves in their own fucking foot. And I don't know what's going on behind the scenes to make that happen, but it's the ownership group of La Liga that's been get getting so much criticism lately. I mean, they're seeing these leagues just fly past them when at one point, La Liga was the league that yeah. was at the very top and controlling the European landscape. It's crazy how much that's changed. And I think a transfer that represents the pure essence of that, the pure insanity of how crazy the gap is being created, not between Spain and Italy, but between Spain and the Premier League, is the transfer of a guy like Ansu Fati going over to Brighton. Yeah. This in of itself is one that absolutely shocked the world. Could be considered one of the craziest transfers in terms of name value that yeah. we've seen in football because to see a team like Brighton, which at the end of the day is a small club. Small. When you look at it in the grand scheme of their position in English football, they're achieving amazing things, but they're a small club luring in a massive, massive talent, a kid that was destined to be the next great for Barcelona. That Just to have that name attached to his name, Ansu Fati Barcelona was one-to-one. -one. He's now going over to Brighton on a loan deal, but it's ridiculous to see just the magnitude of the effect that the Premier League has had in terms of the overall impact they've had on the transfer window and how other players themselves, such as Ansu Fati, want to go play in that league because at the end of the day, it is the most elite league in the world. And if you want to continue to develop your skills and grow your talents, it's obvious. You got to go to England, man. Dang, you're right. The, this transfer is double-edged because one side of this is Barcelona don't have the money to pay everybody that they have. So they're looking for any but any outs, essentially, right? If they can find a suitor who's willing to pay a player's wages, they're probably going to take the deal. And that's the economic downturn that's happening right now in Spain, bro. It's not good. And like you said, I don't know what the pitfalls are, why there's like walls that these clubs just can't get past on, you know, why they're not successful financially or economically. I don't understand. And, you know, maybe people that yeah, do know I the hope, nuances, I, I would love to, yeah. you know, be educated on that. But the other edge of this is that, yes, Barcelona don't have the money anymore, but now Brighton get a player who has that Barcelona name attached to him. So not only are they going to get a very talented player in Ansu Fati, but dude, I guarantee you, Barcelona fans who really liked Antu Fati, yeah. they're watching Brighton games now because yeah. they want to see how he does. And not only that, they're going to be entertained by the football that Brighton plays and just the overall level that the Premier League has on display. Yeah, I think this Ansu Fati case is really interesting because it makes me wonder something, bro. And I'm going to propose this to you because I'm curious to know if what I'm about to present to you had any role in Ansu Fati going to Brighton now and. Yeah. In a way, having to take some time out from Barcelona. 
Ansu Fati came onto the scene when he was like 16 years old, bro. Yeah. I remember when he first got on the score sheet for Barcelona, I was thinking to myself like, my God, this has to be one of the youngest goal scorers I've ever seen just on a score sheet, man. I remember seeing the name Ansu Fati, a name I'd never seen before, clicking on the profile and seeing that he might have even been 15, bro. Yeah. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is a kid scoring a goal in La Liga for a club as big as Barcelona. And I was curious to see if he could continue that momentum and continue building his brand, growing his game to live up to that potential that Barcelona tags their young players with. And it's been a really interesting ride since, man. One riddled with injuries, with inconsistencies, with him maybe not having the best role within the team to thrive in. Uh, a lot of factors can be listed as to why maybe he hasn't thrived the way that people have wanted him to. But my question is, I feel like we see this, man. We, we see this happen time and time again when a player gets rushed a little too early in these big, big clubs. It's not often that you see a, a player at 16 or 17 have a really good season and then be able to continue that every single season from then on out. The only people that actually have are, well, the GOATs, the greats, Messi, Ronaldo, Mbappe, Holland, guys like that. But being labeled, being given those labels, being given that responsibility at such a young age like how Ansu Fati was, it reminds me of kind of like Odegaard, man. And how he was the youngest, I think, sub or debutant with Real Madrid in their history at one point. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we didn't really see him for like six years. He went on a whole escapade, man. The, the, the equivalent of being on ayahuasca in the footballing <laughs> universe, man. He needed to reinvent himself. And it wasn't until his time at Real Sociedad mm -hmm. that we actually started to see a little bit more promise. And then he got to Arsenal at like, what, 22, 23 years old. And then he thrived. I wonder if the same is kind of happening with Ansu Fati right now where it's just too much of a weight. It's too much of a responsibility to put on a player. The injuries come into hand. The, the personnel and the players that he has around him has an impact too. But I think overall, I do think this is an impact. This is an effect of putting too much on a player way too early in his career. And thus, you see him go to a team like Brighton looking to kind of reset himself, looking to refresh his career and have a new start in hopes that he can become kind of like an Odegaard too, come back to Barcelona a year or two later just as a reimagined player and living up to the potential that he was once built to have. Yeah, dude, this is honestly like a study in psychology because I actually agree with you. I think... I think two factors come into play, how young you are and how big the club you are attached to yes. at the time. Yes. Because if you're 16 and you're playing for Birmingham, that's fine. <laughs> you're, that's just completely fine. You could play every single minute for the entire season, and I don't think there'll be any psychological detriment. But I think when you're at Barcelona, there's going to be some tolls on, on you mentally, bro. Because yeah, you're being asked to output as one of the best players on the continent. Because that's what yes. Barcelona represent themselves as, right? They're the biggest club in the world. So if you play for them, then you have to be one of the best players in your position. And you're 16 getting that opportunity. Even if you do succeed, I do think it takes some sort of it's mental toll on you, bro. Man. It's, it's so tough bad. because you, you inevitably reach some sort of halting point where you're, you lose a little bit of form maybe or you get an injury. How then do you come back to any sort of consistency if you've never known what consistency is like? <laughs> You're a kid. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. But yes, I think the remedy to this is to leave a big club. But to do that, you know, it takes a lot of like letting go of pride. You have to let go of your ego as a player because at that point, you are no longer the best player in your position at Barcelona. Now you're at Brighton, right? And Again, even though Brighton's low-key probably playing better football than Barcelona, club-wise, they're so much smaller. 
But for that's why I'm so happy that when I saw that Ansu Fati was going to Brighton because I was like, oh, well, this is how he fixes himself. Yes. This is how he gets rid of all the ailments that he's gone through at Barcelona by letting go and just focusing on his career. And he, I think he's going to be able to do that at Brighton. Even if it doesn't work out that well, at least he knows like, okay, there's, there's other things out here other than Barcelona. But it gets scary because, you know, now I'm, now I'm starting to wonder. And I was thinking about this literally today when I was watching the Barca game. I was like, dude, what's going to happen to La Mina Mal? That's exactly. That, that's exactly I get scared that's already. I'm worried, bro. I'm he's worried. Already, he's already being called up to the national team, bro. <laughs> yeah. And the comments I'm seeing from people about him and the role he is expected to play for Barcelona now, I'm like, y'all need to chill, man. <laughs> he's the next Ansu Fati. It's <laughs> 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 just crazy, man. Like, man re- relax. Let relax. the kid thrive in his own and his like in spurts. Let him have his moments, but don't put that pressure so early on. Enjoy it. Have fun. He's a young and he's doing great. But come on, man. Any sort of expectations attached to him, it's unfair in my opinion. It's so unfair. I I remember the most blatant, like case of this where it just didn't work out Stefano Sharari when he was oh, first called up at like 18 19 at a time for Milan when they were really struggling they had no choice but to play him so he played every single game and they needed him to score to have any sort of relevancy in the league at the time and so he had all of that weight and he did it for like one good season he actually did it but then after that man once he started going through a drought he had no idea how to reset and Loki never really did. No. He found some sort of joy when he moved to Roma, but I mean, bro, we, we haven't really. His his best years was when he was a teenager at Milan. Yeah, that's not good. That's not good, man. It's not good. And there's a number of cases like Michael Owen. I know has been mm. has been remarked as a player like that too. I just the opposite side is always so tempting that I see people go for it because if like if Lamina Mall has a great first year and then continues that consistency, yeah. I mean, that's equivalent to like, what the fuck? That's what Messi That's did. what Messi, That's yeah. what the greats did. Mbappe being able to do it at 17, 18 for Monaco and just not stopping. True. Erling Holland too. Like, that's the opposite effect. That's why people, yeah. I think, put that pressure and that expectation because they want that every single time they have a chance to get it. I just think we have to be realistic. We have yeah. to be realistic in our expectations. And I'm excited for Lamina Mall, but even more excited to see how Ansu Fati pans out at Brighton. Oh, yeah. Kolomuani to PSG. Kolomuani, a guy that this podcast has been a big fan of mm. for a good two, three years, man, with how well he's performed at Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga, getting the call over and out to PSG to join the biggest club in France and join Mbappe. Biggest takeaway from this transfer, in my opinion, is PSG's new approach to how they're handling themselves in the transfer window and what they're trying to build. Because a lot of people have noticed they're signing a lot of French players. Dembele is joined, yeah. joining. They got a young star in a Barcolo who had a really good season uh, in the Ligue 1 last year. They're building this whole new brand of mainly French players that they're trying to sign. And it made me wonder, bro, because the more I see it in the transfer window, the more I see these incredible talents come out of France specifically, I asked myself this question. I said, does France have the best talent pool in the world right now? You have a guy like Chouameni. 23 years old at Barcelona. Camavinga right next to him as well. <laughs> you can go Kingsley Coleman, who's just chilling, putting up numbers in Germany right now. Colomuani, we already mentioned. Saliba, damn near leading Arsenal to the title. Deo Hernandez at AC Milan. Upamecano, Jules Koundé at Barcelona. Canate at Liverpool. Right. Turum, you mentioned. De Sassi. Bubakar Kamara playing at Aston Villa uh, right now. Griezmann, if you'd like. Yusuf Fofana, who's at Monaco too. These are guys that, all these guys listed at over $30 million in value, bro. Does France have the best talent pool? Because I do think there's good challengers. Brazil, nonstop, 
a, a yeah, non-stop yeah, ability yeah, yeah. to generate incredible talent out of their country. Argentina has some amazing stars coming up the ranks as well. I'd say those are the top three, and I'd throw in England as well as the fourth contender. You can also say Spain, perhaps. Mm. And then after that, I think it's a little bit more of a drop. Maybe Portugal and Germany come in, I think, as potential contenders. Yeah, but I think it's a drop a little. I think the top four would be England, Argentina, Brazil, and France. Yeah. Yeah? For sure. Yeah, you think so? I, I, I completely yeah. agree with that. I don't think you can argue that, honestly. I think it'd be really tough to. Okay. Um, but, dude, yeah, every year when I'm just going through European football and I'll just put on a game and there's a really good player that I've never seen before, odds are he's probably French. It's literally like that, man. Lately, it's been like that. It's been like that. Like like the Jules Koundé example. I remember when he hit the scene with Sevilla a couple years ago, I was like, oh, okay, they got a really good center back now. Let's see what he does. French. I'm like, what? Like, like, where did he come from? Why did he start in Spain? Like, I I don't understand it. I had the same thing with Diaby. Oh he's yeah, French too, he's bro. French too, bro. He's <laughs> French too. That's what I'm saying. I remember when I first saw Marcus Turam at Gladbach yeah. uh, several years ago. We're in the same group stage as Real Madrid, and I was like, "Oh, Turam's definitely their best threat offensively." French. And I'm just like, "What? Where are these coming from?" And we can even go to like second yes. tier, bro. Yep. Second tier football. I was watching Sassuolo play Napoli last week. Sassuolo's best attacking midfielder, a guy named Maxime Lopez, okay. French. Damn, dude. Lopez? Yeah. Lopez, yeah, he's French. <laughs> That's the thing, man. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know. They could have an Arabic last name. Yeah. They could have like a North African last name. They could have a French last name, yeah. a Spanish. Uh, Kevin Gamedo, Portuguese yep. last name. He's French. Like, Damn, they got everything, man. And I think I'm going to go ahead and say France definitely does have the most talented pool because of that. Because yearly, on a consistent basis, they just have these stars just pop out of nowhere. And I think, obviously, England, Brazil definitely have that too. I think France just have it on a slightly higher rate. Yeah, slightly I, higher rate. I think the, the situation that proves my point, because I agree with you completely, is look at the World Cup final, man. Look at the World Cup tournament. I remember in the lead-up to the tournament, the talk about France was regarding their injuries. They had so many that impacted their starting lineup. Guys like N'Golo Kante couldn't play. Pogba wasn't there. Benzema technically had a different situation, but he wasn't there either. Just winning the Ballon d'Or the year before, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. But the thing that proved the point for me was the fact that they were still able to make such a deep run due to the depth that they had, man. Going to the World Cup final and losing in goddamn penalties, man. Yeah. Guys like... Kolomuani coming yeah. off the bench. Yes. Turam getting minutes. Kingsley Coleman as well. All these guys just popped up out of nowhere and showed their technical ability and their prowess on the biggest stage in existence in football. And that to me just said, okay, right now, in this moment, France is the biggest talent pool because what they're able to do in terms of developing this talent, and I don't know what the fuck they're feeding them, bro. Fucking baguettes <laughs> and cigarettes. It works, dude. It works like no other. Combination. It, it probably is a fucking key nowadays, man. But it's incredible because even for like a country like Argentina, I do think they have an incredible ability to develop elite players. I just don't think they develop as many right. as France. I right. think that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, exactly. That, that's my point is I don't think Argentina, Brazil, England are necessarily worse than France. I just think they have less of it. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Pretty crazy, man. <laughs> Pretty crazy. But especially when you think about the, the place where their league stands right now, I think looking at the coefficients, the French league dropped. They dropped it, like seventh, no? They dropped. They're out of the top five. Yeah. And I believe the Netherlands yeah. have taken fifth position, yeah. which is great because when I started my football journey, it was Portugal who was in that fifth spot. Wow. They had it for a while. Then France took it. 
and now they're gone. And now, for the first time, at least that I've been watching football, the Netherlands have cracked the top five. Wow. Which is actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's actually pretty sweet. That's so, awesome. yeah, exciting. Uh, uh, we're talking about time football being exciting. I think the Netherlands, honestly, are on to something. I mean, we saw last year in the Europa League and Conference League, like, that's true. Dutch football is on a little rise of its own, for that's sure. True. And so since we are kind of just talking about these different European nations, can we quickly just kind of do our Champions League predictions? Yeah, bro. Who you got winning it, man? Yeah, let's I, go. Let's I, get in. I, I, I have two teams here, and I would have stuck to these two teams and been like, you know, it can go either way. I don't know in the situation. But due to a certain move that was canceled in the transfer window last minute, I end up going for one other team. The other way. Yes. So the two teams I was interested in were Manchester City and Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich acquiring Harry Kane, second best goal scorer in the world, I think, like, no question. Yeah. No question. Right behind Erling Holland. Right behind him. And already making himself at home in Germany. I saw a picture of him drinking beer and shit. He looked great. <laughs> but in the midfield, I was curious to see what other additions they could get. And when we talk about players that they could acquire in the transfer window, that they could pull away and reel away from you know what's considered a smaller club in comparison a name like Joao Palinha came up man yeah. a player that I mentioned you know I've been mentioning my favorite Premier League players recently he's in that top five list man oh, dude. Joao Palinha is one of the funnest most easy to root for guys out there in football his passion his ball recovery ability his technical ability everything he brings to the game by far outweighs what Fulham is right now. I'm not even going to lie to you, man. Yeah. I think he's an incredible talent and a talent that's worth being in a top six side in the world. So when I saw the rumors that he was being linked to Bayern Munich, I was saying, okay, this is it right here. They get Joao Palinha, man. They have an actual opportunity at getting a Champions League title now. But then it got pulled away. It got, it, it, I don't know what the fuck happened. It fell through in the last minute, man. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk about this because I'm actually thinking more about Palinha himself, bro. Imagine going through what he went through. He went to Germany, signing documents, got his medical done, started taking pictures with the jersey, and then gets the last-minute call saying, no deal. Jeez, Isn't that man. crazy? That's... In his mind, he was a Bayern Munich player, yeah. and now that's just not going to happen. Yeah. And it's really messed up. It's messed it, up. It's really, really messed up. And this goes back to the point that I made, I think, a week ago – the way transfers are done in football is, it, I don't think it's right. I think it should be done before the European leagues start because this all could have been avoided. From Marco Silva at Fulham, yeah. and then for Palinha himself, for Bayern Munich, the club, all of this could have been avoided, I think, if transfers were just done a little bit better. Yeah. Nonetheless, this is the reality. But my God, man, like, I don't even know. I hope he's okay, man. Because, like, good Lord, going from Fulham to Bayern would have been such a huge jump, and it would have made sense. Dude, as you already said, he is the engine in that Fulham yes. midfield. Like, without him, Fulham ain't running. You know, they're not going to be operating at even remotely the same level. So it's just crazy that Paulina couldn't go through. But the reason why is because Fulham couldn't find a replacement. Yeah. They are trying to get Scott McTominay. Yeah. They couldn't make a deal there, so they had to deny Bayern Munich instead mm -hmm. so they could keep Paulina. Mm -hmm. Which is crazy, though, because the low-key, if you're Fulham, hopefully if Palina is in his right mind, you need him. Yeah, you need him oh, because absolutely. without 
without Balinha, Fulham, <laughs> Loki yes. would be flirting with relegation. Uh, uh, truly, he's has that much of an impact. They already don't have Mitrovic, so they really did need Balinha, or at least a player like him. So, yeah, I, I just think it's crazy. But the fact that Bayern don't get him, I definitely think does take away some of their ability to be very good in the Champions yeah, League, for sure. I, I would have loved that addition. And just to kind of go off of your point, I mean, I looked at his age. He's 28 years old now. There's always that risk of getting injured as a player, too. Like, he might not get this opportunity again. And that's being pessimistic, right? Maybe right, he yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. he does next year and it, just, and it happens and it's a beautiful thing. He's happy in Germany. Yeah. But for now, to be that close, it's a painful thing, man. It really is. No, but the Fulham fans are getting on him, though, because after the Bayern debacle... Uh, he changed his Instagram profile to a Portuguese shirt instead of a Fulham shirt. Oh, shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, shit. you know, it gets tough. <sighs> That's why I'm not a fan of all this. Let's do transfers after the season started, yeah. man. Yeah. Regardless, Bayern, I think, uh, still remains a contender in terms of, like, top four ability to get a Champions League trophy. Mm. But when it comes to who I see winning this tournament, which was the question you asked me at the very beginning here, it's Manchester City, man. Yeah. No question. Yeah. No question. I think they are set to defend their title yet again. The team is off to an incredible start already in the Premier League. They're showing no signs of slowing down. And with, I mean, just what well, I'm just repeating points I made time and time again. A mm-hmm. tactical genius in Pep Guardiola. Incredible wingers in Jack Grealish. Now, now uh, Jeremy Doku. Uh, yeah. Guys like Phil Foden. Being able to just level up their play every single year. Erling Holland bagging already six goals in the Premier League. Midfielders, Rodri, playing like the best defensive midfielder in the goddamn world. And then in the back, Gavardiol. Um, yeah. Ruben Diaz. Ruben Diaz. Um, John Stones when he's healthy. <laughs> yeah, Kyle Stones. Walker. Yeah, like, like, it, it, Nathan Ake. It's, 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 Rico Lewis gets minutes Rico, too, man. man. They have so much depth, too. Yes, dude. The, what I'm seeing from Manchester City right now, I think is truly the evolution of a dynasty. Yeah. I think that's what's going to happen in the Champions League this year. We're seeing the steps that need to be taken to be able to call themselves a dynasty during this era of football. And that's going to be fun to keep up with, man. That's going to be fun to look at because I'm excited to be rooting for Manchester City to achieve that. They're going to breeze by these Spanish teams. They're going to dominate the German ones. And if they face off against another English team, that's where it will get tight in my opinion. Yeah. But in the end, I have Manchester City winning the Champions League and Pep Guardiola becoming the Caesar of what is his version of the Roman Empire. I think Manchester City are going to do something historic this year by getting back-to-back domestic title and Champions League title which would be ridiculous to see. And I do think it's going to happen. Right. That'd be insane. You know, we talk about like dynasties of like Madrid and Barcelona being able to do that too. I think Manchester cities will be in that exact same conversation, sitting at the exact same table with the two biggest clubs in the world in Madrid and Barcelona. I think at the end of this season, City will be right there with them just historically for the rest of time for history bro it's going to be amazing to see and you know we can slightly break it down just a little little bit just a little bit i think madrid is a little too unestablished they don't have a nine like Bayern munich do right barcelona are incomplete they're an incomplete team right now they're missing a couple midfielders Lewandowski is a little bit out of form right now he's not getting any younger they lost Dembele. they haven't filled in that hole they're very incomplete right now you go over to Germany. I think the only team that can compete with Manchester City is going to be Bayern. And the thing is, as you said, I think Bayern's definitely a top contender for the title. Like, they're going to go for it. And that acquisition of Harry Kane 
immense because honestly without Kane I don't even know if I'd consider him but now that they do have him all of a sudden I think Bayern Munich are incredibly deadly because dude Kane if he's on it he, he can score against literally anybody there's almost nobody who can stop him if he's on it so that alone I think can make Bayern Munich a very deadly team in the Champions League so let's see what Bayern can do this year because I definitely think yeah. they're going to be trying make amends after having a weird season last year so Bayern will be interesting to see what about a team like Arsenal yeah the Prem teams the Prem teams so unfortunately Liverpool aren't in there no, they, that, that's they, what really sucks to, yeah they tend to be the best competition for Manchester City exactly so that, that that's <laughs> <laughs> That's what really sucks, man, because I don't really see United and Newcastle being able to really beat them in a two-legged affair. That does happen yeah, in the quarterfinal stage. Yeah. I just don't see that happening over two legs. Arsenal could do it. They could, but, you know, especially since it'll be springtime already, what if City already has like a 10-point lead over Arsenal? Yeah. That's going to be a psychological play, and I think at that point, City beats Arsenal, yeah. right? So Arsenal will have a chance if it's like toe-to-toe in the Prem as well, yeah. right? So maybe there's something there. So right now I'd say Arsenal, Bayern, Munich definitely can contend. Uh, and then if we go over to Italy, Italy gets really interesting, man. Mainly because I haven't watched enough of it over the last five years to be able to have a cumulative uh, vantage okay. point on a decision. Because uh, I just you know really started getting into it, let's just say, two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, we saw what they could do last year. I think even though some people might say it was a little bit of a fluke or they got lucky, and they definitely did because they got some easy runs, both Milan and Inter, they have the exact same squads and they've reinforced them. Inter did lose Romelu Lukaku, but they got Marcos Turam as a replacement. What a, what a replacement, by Pavard, the way. Pavard, they just got Pavard. They just got Pavard. Lautaro oh. Martinez honestly looks like he's at least at the same level, if not getting a little bit better too. So I think both Inter and you know, AC Milan, their counterparts, have greatly improved their squads. Yeah, AC good. Milan looking yeah, incredible, bro. And so I think the Italian teams will have something to say. I just, as we saw in the final against Inter Milan, mm-hmm. I just don't know if they can best truly best Manchester City. So yeah, the conclusion is... PSG? I, I, I don't know if I can, man. Yeah. I don't know if I can really count them as being like a true, true contender. They've had a lot of influx and outflux of players. Dude, 11 players got signed. Yeah. 11. They've had a lot. And even, even uh, last year, bro, even yeah. last year, they had a huge influx of midfielders. Mm-hmm. And I, I, just, I don't see PSG as an established yeah. force to beat Manchester City. They're talented, sure. And they can they can make a run, but to beat City, you have to be you, you have to be really really good, bro. And so yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think City is going to repeat and defend their title. Damn, crazy, man. crazy, like, to see crazy. That happen again, you really gave me a little bit of chills when you said domestic title and Champions League title back, back to back. To I've back, never seen that man. like fully like conscious. I know that Barcelona did it during my lifetime, but I wasn't really watching football like yeah, that back yeah, then. Yeah. And to see it now in the modern era of the game at the highest level that we've ever seen it at would be ridiculous achievement, man. Incredible stuff. What do you make of the group of death in the Champions League? Because every year. In every single tournament, World oh, Cup, yeah, Europa yeah. League, whatever tournament, League I am Mech, I don't know, any whatever tournament, you want, yeah. there's always a group of death. But this one stood out to me because I think this might be one of the like the craziest group of deaths I've ever seen in terms of like this one does barely even has like a weak link, or rather, they're all at a very sem- similar competitive level. Yeah. Whereas most times there's always one team, one team. Even last year, I remember it was. 
Barcelona, Inter Milan, Bayern, but then there was one team that was a fucking, what was it, like a Russian team? or yeah, it was... A, it was um, Slavia Prague, I think. But this time, bro, it's Milan, AC Milan, <laughs> Dortmund, Newcastle, PSG. Rank these teams one to four for me. <laughs> wow, okay. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go Dortmund last. Dude, same. I'm going Dortmund Dude, last. Dortmund's ass yeah yeah I, I, I just think <laughs> no disrespect no disrespect the only thing about Dortmund is unlike let's say a mid-tier European club that finds themselves in a group of death is that you know Dortmund consistently vie for the title in the Bundesliga obviously they're never gonna get it and they don't have the talent to really compete but you know they're in the Bundesliga a very competitive league so they'll be able to match up but yes, I, I, don't I, doubt I, that. I don't doubt that but yeah I think they're gonna finish bottom in this in this group for sure Dortmund we asked a question last year. What do the mental effects of what they went through last year look like the following season? We asked the same question of Arsenal. Arsenal has found a way to stay stable so far. They're good mentally. Dortmund, though, yeah. looks like your friend that just lost a few screws up there, man. <laughs> they look <laughs> different. Go, man. They look different this year so far. Tying two games in the Bundesliga and only winning one out of three matches so far. By Dortmund standards, that's not very impressive. Maybe they can pick it back up. Right. But the players I'm seeing, the additions I saw them get in the transfer window, just not really impressive, man. I think what we're going to see from Dortmund, especially after losing a star in Jude Bellingham this time around, that's the problem. is going to be a much, much weaker team. But then from here, man... I uh, this gets really, really tricky because ah man, I don't want to ah man. There's like a there's all, a clash of styles. We have three top tier leagues essentially playing against each other. If you compare what England, uh, sorry, England, France, and Italy, and they're all like pretty good. Yeah. What really gets re what gets interesting though is you know let's say Newcastle's form right now. Yeah. Not the best. No. Right, so does that come into play against a high-flying Milan team, right? Or does Newcastle find mm -hmm. form mid-October and all of a sudden they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a high-flying mm -hmm. Milan team? That's this is where I think it's going to get as finicky as finicky as it can because I think it literally rides on that. And then what does PSG land? Do we see them as better than both of them or do we see them as worse or at the same level, man? Because they're still, in my opinion, unpredictable. We don't even know what they are. Exactly, and. Only because, in my opinion, Kylian Mbappe is a part of the squad. Yeah, yeah. Um, him being on the pitch, I think, always gives that team a chance. Now, maybe in a, like a knockout stage, not so much, right? Because obviously PSG just haven't been able to, yeah. you know, win win the whole thing. But you know, in a group stage setting, I think Mbappe can always make a game tight. You add in the likes of you know a Dembele or Kola Mwani, who when they're on it, you know, they're incredibly effective offensively. Then I think PSG is a wild card because they could they could effectively bag two, three goals against all three of these teams. But holistically, I would actually put Milan as the better team than PSG. Right now, holistically, yeah, I, think that's fair. I think it's fair to say with how so, they started, yeah, right. But putting PSG <laughs> in like a third doesn't oh, really God. make sense, and I, I, I'm almost inclined to put Newcastle there only because they don't have the experience. I'd be down to, I, I'd be yeah. down to just because of the recency bias. Like, I, and I, I think will, I'm going yeah, to. I'm, I'm down. Yeah, put them third. They. I'm disappointed in them right now. Like uh, yeah. they're grounded right now. <laughs> so they get a third place for D yeah, yeah, dude. Like, oh <laughs> man, I want so much more, and it's still very early. It's I don't so want people, early. I don't want people to so get early. carried away, but I'm okay with it right now. They yeah, deserve yeah. to be put in third. Yeah, Milan and PSG, I think, is a very tight race now for first. I do think so. I, 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 I can see. 
a 50-50 chance Milan top this group. They're that good. And uh, honestly, I think it would take a really good team to beat them. PSG's a wild card just because of the offensive components that they do have. I could see PSG topping the group. But if I, if I just had to put in pr- a prediction, I'm going Milan first, PSG second. I think I'm going to agree with you, man. Yeah. I think I am. I, I, I don't know if I see PSG having the... I mean, even last year, despite how you know, lackluster the season might have been, they still had Messi and Neymar. They had experience. Mm-hmm. Sergio Ramos on the defensive line, too. It's just, it's, there's an element of experience in the Champions League that does pay off. And this team right now, although it seems very fun and very exciting, kind of like a, a bit of a Tottenham-like effect mm. with how they're trying to approach this season with a new perspective, a new type of team around Kylian Mbappe. Will it pay off? We don't know yet, but I do see more potential in what AC Milan has formed so far oh, yeah. because they are, they're firing on all cylinders right now to start off the season. And PSG, I think they're going to end up getting second. They'll do just enough. They'll get by Dortmund, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. they catch Newcastle off guard. I do think that matchup, Newcastle against PSG is going to be incredible, Bro, especially dude. when they play at Newcastle. That's what I'm saying. Dude, all three of the games, Dortmund, PSG, Milan, oh, going nuts. to Newcastle is going to be crazy to see. Dude, Newcastle and the San Siro, man. Yeah, oh, man. my God. It's going to be nuts. Newcastle at Park the Princes? Bro, right. That's weird to think about. It's bizarre, bro. It's bizarre, man. And I'm here for it. <laughs> I am here yeah, for it. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's one of the most like competitive games group of deaths i've ever seen yeah it's gonna be fine at least in terms of the value of the name probably the the one with the heaviest names like the most the most history behind these teams bro milan psg dorman newcastle come on man i can't wait to see how this plays out i watched the barcelona game today against osasuna Mm -hmm. and uh first off beautiful crowd Mm -hmm. gorgeous crowd in osasuna all red completely packed stadium which by the way i do want to say so far, the last three weeks, four weeks that La Liga has been going on, man, crowds have been lit, right. by the way. Dude, lit. Ever like Cadiz, Osasuna, Atletico, Atletic, you know, the usual ones for sure. But like these smaller clubs, dude, they're packed to the yeah. brim, man. Well, I, I do want to throw in a big one. Real Madrid just now opened their stadium up fully now for the first time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, to your point, the crowds have been amazing too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah we'll get to that yeah. moment too. But um, yeah, and I, I just wonder... Because I'd say for the last, eh, maybe like just after COVID, let's say, La Liga crowds have, you know, in my opinion, not been the best, if you will. There's been some, you know, not, not as many crowds going to the games like in Getafe, for example, or Alaves. But, dude, I don't know what happened, what's in the air in Spain right now, but people are going to these games, bro. Maybe the Women's World Cup had something to do with oh, it, bro. Like, sure. people are like, hey, let's catch a football game. I don't know, man. But Spain's on a ride right now, and I'm here for it, bro, because the atmospheres are electric. And honestly, I think it's making these home teams at least play a little bit better. I remember in our last episode where we were talking about Spanish football, I had been talking about how right now the teams that play Barcelona have employed a very violent and defensive tactic to facing them. Osasuna tried to ball out, though. They did as much as they could to play their football and attack Barcelona, which I was incredibly grateful for. And I really applauded the way that Osasuna approached this game because from the get-go, they were fearless. They played their football and dude, they crafted some pretty decent chances. Like the 25th, 30th minute, Imar, clear shot on goal. Could have taken the lead 1-0 for Osasuna. <gasps> fluffed it bad bro like really really bad man you know how it is over there but yeah yeah yeah. complete miss to take the lead and it would have been completely deserved too the reason why i've been wanting a team to go at barcelona because i want to see how barcelona react to that and they showed up 
The Barcelona defense were a lot more aggressive in getting the ball back because I think they recognized that Osasuna were here to play. Yeah. So a, a really good point if you're a Barcelona fan, knowing that, okay, well, you know, you haven't really lost anything. You've lost some players, but the, the players that are there now are still up for it 100%. Lamine Yamal once again featuring. How did he play? He, he did good. You know, not a cra- any crazy moments like he did in the last game, but he did very, very good. But it, it goes back to my point when we were talking about Champions League. It's, and it still came out in this game. So Barcelona ended up winning it. Lewandowski sold a cheap penalty, yeah. cheap, cheap. Uh, the referee was willing to buy it at a low price. Ah, and yeah. yeah, so they yeah. ended up winning it 2-1. There was a beautiful goal from Chimi Avila who ended up equalizing it for Osasuna. Mm-hmm beautiful curling effort outside the box went past three Barcelona players and then Ter Stegen a gorgeous goal highly recommend seeing the highlight there but overall Barcelona are an an incomplete team 100% when you look at the midfield right now it's De Jong Gavi and Oriol Romeo who they got from I believe Girona right for really cheap or maybe it was even a free transfer but I think that alone tells me that you know Barcelona they don't really have the depth right now they also don't have, I think, the exact players that Xavi would want. Ilkay Gundogan, and I mentioned it at the beginning of the season, he's part of a front three. And I do think it's underutilization of his talents. Every game he's played, he has amazing moments. He turns players. He has amazing through balls. His first touch is world class. The problem is, since he's starting in such an advanced position, he sees less of the ball. And I think that's actually bad. You know, if you really want to create and have offensive opportunities, you need Gundogan touching the ball like every single play, man. It's not happening, though. And it's it, just because of the position that he's playing in. He's still doing a good job personally. Like, he hasn't lost anything over the offseason playing with Manchester City. So that's a really good thing. I think if Xavi can figure out how to utilize Gundogan better, I think Barcelona will have a much, much better time offensively. Because right now... It's still a little bit labored, man. It really is. Lewandowski, you know, he's getting criticized right now. I think they're, they're, they're right. His touches are off, bro. Damn. They're just off. Damn. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, at least what Barcelona had last year was a star in Dembele when he was healthy. They don't have that anymore, man. And that's why Yamal's getting those minutes. That's why Gundogan is a winger right now. You know, Rafinha obvi- has nowhere to be seen in this? That's another thing, bro. Rafinha, and we talked about this earlier, too. Since the World Cup, Rafinha's been off. And, dude, he has not found that form either. He came off the bench like in the 80th minute today. Damn, dude. Yeah. Ferran Torres? Uh, No, I mean, he's there too, but also just out of form. (laughs) I heard that he, like, broke up with his girlfriend in the offseason, that he's, like, been doing a lot of good, like, positive things. (laughs) Really? Here behind the scenes. Okay, okay. He's changing his ways. Okay. So maybe if he gets a chance, he'll do better this time around. But, you know, I've always been critical of him and how he plays. I would like to see him do something positive for once. And (laughs) (laughs) For sure. And... That's the whole thing with Barcelona is that the players they do have, their starting 11 is good, but it's underutilized because they have zero depth. They zero. Also, they also got back the ex-Osasuna player, uh, Abde, the Moroccan. Abde Eze or whatever? Yeah, yeah Eze, is he still yeah. still there? Did he get loaned out? Do you know? I thought he left, but yeah, honestly, I, I don't know. I thought they sent him back out. I thought they sent yeah, him back man. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. So they have a really good core, but they are missing some really important yeah. pieces, bro. And I, it'll be enough to beat Osasuna, for example, to beat Betis. It'll be enough to remain relevant in La Liga. But, man, I am really curious to see how they're going to do in the Champions League because I, <laughs> I think they could get very exposed if they play against a very talented team. Uh, nonetheless, though, the talent that they do have is very good. 
I just think Barcelona have a lot of missing pieces, bro. Yeah. But yeah, a great game from Osasuna, man. But Barcelona just got the edge. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. And then uh, just to finish out, you know, Spain. I was really excited about Atletico this this weekend, man. Because, you know, we got a really big 7-0 win against Rayo last week. I was hoping we could continue that against the worst team in the league, Sevilla. <laughs> and I dude I, and it's a little I know it's a little messed up I understand that but I wanted Sevilla to lose again okay. I wanted it bad and I wanted yeah. us to do it man Sevilla have you heard three straight losses it's their worst start to a season in like 40 years damn dude they yeah. just got a Sergio Ramos though I saw that I saw that That's not gonna, that can't help <laughs> that can't help bro. I'm sorry that's nostalgia <laughs> Uh, but I'm so pissed too because now that game's just gonna happen later yeah. right it's not gonna happen tomorrow oh, yeah. it's gonna happen way later and it, we really could have capitalized on it because I don't know who Sevilla play next but they're not gonna be as good as Atletico unless it's Madrid I don't you know, know what's in Atletico right now either bro these boys are eating right now <laughs> started off the season with Depay's insane banger yeah. and they haven't slowed down offensively bro what was it seven goals seven goals well, yeah 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 but you know Rayo gifted two of them to us and they ran wrapped it up really neat and they said happy early Christmas and we took it 100% but they also in the last like 10 minutes they they gave up bro like so I say realistically it was like 3-0 they gave us four goals but I'll take it I'll take it I'll take it um but yeah I, I just really wanted to beat Sevilla bad like yeah, bad I really want I wanted to embarrass them and have them start off the season with zero points after four games now I don't know if that's gonna happen honestly this is a blessing for Sevilla because now they get to completely regroup with the international break completely reset so they get a new start to the season after the international break and they they need it bro and it's crazy when you think about Sevilla man because they had a relegation battle last year and we thought with them winning the Europa League I, I at least thought that they'd be avoid that this season I thought that worst case mid-table for Sevilla because of what they had learned this last year but not a good start right now for Sevilla and honestly I don't really see them fixing it immediately uh, they're gonna have to go on a really good string of games where they play against very weak teams yeah. if they played any sort of talent I don't see Sevilla winning uh so I'm really curious to see how Sevilla navigate this season, bro. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious. Losing Bono, losing, I think, Lo Campos as well is gone from the team, too. Is he really? I think so. Yeah, oh, I think dude. he transferred out. Good. Yeah, I think good, they're losing man. pieces. Man. I, I've been, I've been <laughs> praying for <laughs> Ocampos to leave this offseason because he needs to go to a better club. Just straight up. He, he's, a soul, he's a type of player that can have a really good impact if the club itself is running well. But with Sevilla, man, it's just not working, right? Yeah. And yeah. I think Ocampo's going to, I don't know where he went. I hope he left. Fool him. No way. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Okay, no, yeah, they're going to yeah. use him, yeah. bro. And they're going to use him well. All right, in incredible move for Fulham. Incredible move for Ocampos himself. Thank God. Because yes. his career was dying in Sevilla. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And just to stay in Spain, the last thing that has to be has to be highlighted <clears throat> is the performance that Real Madrid had against Getafe, winning the game, I believe, two one, scoring a game winner in the final minute by none other than star boy Jude Bellingham. I could analyze the game, I could analyze what happened, but rather I want to focus in on Jude Bellingham because his impact so far is the reason 
that Real Madrid is winning these games. And we already talked about this before, and we, we posed a concern that for Real Madrid to win these matches on a consistent basis and challenge for the title, they low-key need <laughs> Drew Bellingham to play at this level. <laughs> the amazing thing is, he's actually that good. And he can do this consistently without question. Scoring five goals in four games and scoring winning goals in two straight matches. Yeah. Incredible. The definition of impact. But I want to take this a step further. Because whenever one of our youngins is doing really good on this podcast, we always make sure to talk our shit. It was established, I think, what, two years ago, where we stood on the teenager debate in terms of mm. top prospects coming up through the ranks. Nominees were Jamal Musiala, Gavi, Pedri, Pedri. Jude Bellingham. That's probably it, right? Maybe Florian Verts if you want to throw him in there. For, oh, me, it was, one. for me, it was always just those yeah, four. Yeah, those four. And you showed your loyalty and your allegiance to Jamal Musiala, Musiala, which we'll get into that in a second. But I showed mine towards Jude Bellingham, leaving the Barca boys to fucking dust. Jude's going, Jude's going off, bro. He's, going, He's off. going off right now. His impact in the game, his leadership... He's screaming vamos when he scores yeah, goals yeah, now. Yeah, the way cool. he's adapting to the culture, to the team, to be able to do what he's doing at 20 years old, at one of, if not the biggest club in terms of name value, is just so, it's so remarkable to me, man. Yeah. But it's something that I've always kind of see him as being able to achieve just with his career arc, the way that he was able to go to Dortmund and, you know, put up insane numbers, be an aggressive box-to-box midfielder and play alongside stars in Erling Holland and at the time, Jadon Sancho, my God, how much he's fallen off. But at the time, being able to be part of one of the best teams in Germany, going so far as to challenge for the title last year and losing by a goddamn point. Now, who did he lose the title to? Well, it was a game winner from Jamal Musiala, who I deeply, deeply respect, putting up a double-double in the German Bundesliga. I will not criticize that man. I've highlighted my love for him as well. If anything, I like him and Jude more than Gavi and Bedri personally, but I understand oh, okay. other debates. Okay, okay. But when one of them is doing really good, I want to focus in on him. And right now, man, it's Jude's world. Yeah. It's Jude's world right now. Yeah. And it's dope to see him on a platform this big, get his recognition, get that love from the fans, and just showcasing that pa- passion weekend week out because I saw a video fan filmed from the stands in which Jude Bellingham ran to after he scored oh, the game winning goal okay. and you get to just see the insane emotion that was expressed by every single Real Madrid player coming over and slapping the fuck out of you bro like Dude, that's my boy swinging, let's go bro. swinging bro it's <laughs> <laughs> a fucking UFC match yeah, bro. he's in a cage at one point he had his head down like this bro. he's like hey guys <laughs> guys fucking relax but then after that after the crowd dispersed and the guys go back to their side of the pitch Jude stays and he hits him with that classic boom and then puts out both arms out wide yeah. that classic Jude Bellingham celebration God, and the crowd lost their mind it was a beautiful clip that really made me just realize like holy shit dude this is his world and we're just living in it yeah I don't have much to add that was so beautifully put dude um my reaction to that moment Obviously, after all the emotions had dwindled down, I was and I should collect myself. <laughs> it was one of those. It was bro. one of those. One after that, after twenty <laughs> minutes later, I, I I was like, you know, this considering the trajectory that Bellingham has put himself on, makes complete sense. Looking at this man, we are literally seeing Bellingham evolve in real time. 
because to think about it, like you're supposed to grow between the ages of 16 and 23. Yeah, yeah. We are seeing that with Bellingham. The difference is, is that he started at an elite level. So now yeah. we're seeing him transcend uh, above something that most midfielders don't get to. No. And so that's what that's what's crazy about this. And what's even crazier is that if he stays focused, he's going to get even yeah. better over the next two, three years. Bellingham is on the trajectory to be the best midfielder, like yeah. maybe ever. I'm talking Ballon d'Ors, bro. Yeah, I'm talking that level yeah. of quality, man. Yeah, like he 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 could achieve what maybe like Paul Pogba should have. Oh, that's from an like an one. from an yeah. accolade perspective, yeah. right? So yeah, Bellingham is on yeah. one right now, and uh, dude, I want more. It's crazy. I though. want it's more. It's crazy, man, to think that where he came from to Birmingham to start there at 16 years old. And to then jump over to Dortmund, dominate, dominate. In the third best league in the world Come at the on. time, and then now here in the second best league in La Liga, doing the same damn thing. I want him in the Prem. Oh, I want yeah, him in yeah, the yeah. Prem. English player, he's destined, destined to play three, four years, man. Just give me that in the Prem. Come join the Liverpoolian project and thrive and uh, be the heir to Steven Gerrard and these incredible midfielders. I want to see him in England, but until then, I'm completely happy seeing him thrive in Spain with fucking Real Madrid, man. Dude, dude, that's crazy because he could have an entire career at Madrid and go to Liverpool in his prime at 27. Yes. Yes, that's how young he is, bro. <laughs> 20 crazy, years old, man. bro. Talk about a 20 year old. Dude, he has his whole life ahead of him. Yeah. <laughs> and I think the reason it's more shocking to me is because Jude, and I would say this in, in comparison to Musiala, Gavi, and Pedri, he has a maturity to him that I oh. think is, is, is more yeah, prominent I mean. than the other four players. Mm. Uh, he seems like, it looks like he's 27. Yep. The way he carries himself, the way he is so calm in possession and the leadership that he provides, he seems like an established player in the way that he brands himself. And so, yes, it's surprising to see that he could play at Real Madrid for six, seven years and have a whole legacy there, have the jersey retired and everything, and still be able to spend seven more prominent years somewhere else. His career is going to be so fun to keep up with, akin to that of Erling Haaland, I would say. Yeah. And just where do these guys end up going? What do they end up doing? The decisions they make for their future careers, I think will be one that actually impact, like impacts us because yeah. it's that fun to keep up with. Oh yeah, dude. Like This really gives me shades, especially seeing that celebration with all the Madridistas, really gave me shades of like Ronaldo when he first came to Madrid. Like The amount of hype that was around Cristiano and the fact that he was scoring goals, having an impact on a weekly basis, just like Jude is right now, I'm getting those exact same flavors, those exact same like flashbacks, if you will. And just like Cristiano, he had a whole career at United, then went to have a legacy at Madrid. Bellingham is set up to do the same thing. And dude, low key, Bellingham has already left a legacy at Dortmund. Yes. Already. Yes. And he was only there for like three years. He's going to do the same thing at Madrid. And wherever else he goes, if he does end up going to the Prem, I think he'd have a legacy there too. So yeah, Bellingham might be one of the best midfielders over the next decade. And I'm, I'm here for that, bro. I love this. I love the topic of legacies because that's been prominent. That's been a big thing on my mind this past weekend. When I was watching Liverpool versus Aston Villa, Liverpool getting the 3-0 win, Dominique Sobosly scoring an amazing Sobo. goal in the process. Crazy goal, bro. I don't even want to talk about the game. Yeah. I think this is going to be, and I'm almost certain in saying this, Mo Salah's last year. Okay. I think this is going to be his last year 
And I became aware of that while watching this game. There's a lot of rumors right now with Saudi Arabia still having their window open till the 20th of September. Aren't they trying? They're trying, dude. Ah. They're trying. And Liverpool's releasing a lot of statements saying they're not interested. But <laughs> with Saudi Arabia, you never know, man. You never know. Yeah, yeah. And it just became very clear to me, like, I don't think we see Mo Salah for another year at Liverpool. He's going to have to end Damn. up going for that money in Saudi Arabia or having to switch up his career trajectory at one point. Yeah, yeah. He's going to give us one last season. And that's a very special thing. It's bittersweet, man. But I'm glad I realized this early on because he's got a whole year ahead of him, man. He's got a whole year ahead of him. Already doing really well so far. He's had a few misses here and there. I know you've talked about old man Salah as a funny oh, joke behind man the scenes. But Salah. he's still doing great, man. Getting yeah, an assist in the game today. He played good today. He still played great. Yeah. I think he has two goals to assist in the league so far. Classic Mo Salah. But I do think this is his final year. And I just, I want to put that out there because this is a man that has represented my interest in Liverpool, has represented my fanship in Liverpool from the moment he landed in Liverpool in England because it was during that time that I became a massive, massive fan of English Premier League football, really. Mm. It was 2015 afterwards. I always kept up with it in the past. I was always aware of what was happening. But to watch it as consistent as I watch it now started when... Mo Salah came and joined the team. I was already a Liverpool fan. I established myself as a Liverpool fan by that point. He joins the squad, and we'll never forget what he did in his first season. Just fireworks, man. Yeah. A fireworks show. Uh, putting up incredible numbers. Insane highlights. I couldn't believe that when he I did that. Man. I couldn't believe yeah. that. It was like Mares when he popped out for Leicester City. He was out of yeah. nowhere. Yeah. He was good at Roma, but... He reached a completely different level when he moved to Liverpool. Yeah, man. It's different. Like, when you think about, like, what Erling Holland did in the Prem, it was almost, in a way, expected, right? Yeah. Because yeah, I, of yeah, what he so. did in the, with Dortmund. With Mo Salah, with how he played at Roma, it was very good, but it wasn't... It, it, the one-on-one -on -one translation of doing what he did in <laughs> Italy and then going to England and topping that completely did not make sense to me. Yeah. But, he, but he did it, bro. He did it. And this player has always meant a lot to me. He... He looks like me. I was what a lot of people say. say. I was about to say, you know, not only that, but physically you look alike. I look like Mo Salah, bro. I get, I get it in the comments all the fucking time, man. No. I need to acknowledge this here now. We, I need to meet Mo Salah. Yeah, I need do. to meet you him. Do. You need to get that pick. I need to get that picture. You need to get bro. that pick. I need to get that picture. I need to meet my fucking doppelganger, my bro, <laughs> because bro, so many of these comments are like, didn't know Salah had a side job yeah. as like a fucking pundit or something. Yeah, yeah. YouTube creator, man, it's crazy. It's getting out of hand, bro. It's getting, getting, out, out, of it's of getting out of hand. No, but you really do though. I uh, at the LA at the LA game. You yeah, I, producer Rudd was there with me. You were yards. You were like fifty yards uh -huh. away. You uh -huh. were just walking, and I was like. That looks like Mo Salah. And it was you. <laughs> it was what, you. What is it, though? Is it the hair? Is when, it the hairline? Is it the, no. the eyebrows? No, when your hair is done right and it's like puffy and puffy. fluffy, yeah. dude, it's almost the exact same. Wow. And especially if you're not like super close. Yes. If you're like 10 yards away, dude, you look identical. Fuck. Yeah, man. It's oh, crazy. Okay. And not only that, y'all you, are both like hairy too. Yeah, you yeah, know, you yeah. got a lot of yeah. arm hair. Darker, yeah. You also have like a pretty similar beard. Like got it, yeah. everything fits. You're, you're most solid double gamer, bro. <laughs> you really are, dude. I got to meet him, bro. That's my <laughs> player. That's one player I got to meet. If there's one player you got to meet, who is it for you then? I mean, just from an idol perspective, Griezmann. There's right. no quite, no, I would right. I, I'd do anything right. to meet what Griezmann. What about for jokes? For jokes? I'm thinking about what's the joke here with you. Would it be like the Paul? 
the ball because you hate it that'd on be the, funny <laughs> that'd be funny yeah a fucking uh, it's gotta be a play that you shit it on like mm-hmm. and there's a number of them uh <laughs> yeah there could be a good list i could come up with yeah. yeah i'd have to think about it yeah yeah but ultimately man i do see this as uh mo's last year and i thank him for what he's done i hope we can bring him just one trophy in any capacity to finish off his career at Liverpool. I really do. All right, let's stick in England. I want to focus in on Manchester City against Fulham. Not much to talk about here. Ended up being a 5-1 win for Manchester City. Hat-trick from Erling Holland. Number of hat-tricks, actually, this week. And Son getting one. Ferguson for Brighton getting one. Erling Holland, you know, (laughs) getting a hat-trick. I think it was like his seventh one, and he's only been for a year. Jesus. Pretty crazy. Um, But yeah, I want to focus in on Doku. He made his full debut, started the match, no Jack Grealish available, and, you know, it was against Fulham, so I think Manchester City were okay in introducing Doku like this. Um, Incredible pace. Extremely explosive over small distances. So if you have a defender right tied on Doku, he can get past you in a flash, bro. He's a little raw, though. But I think if you'd see Doku play in France, you're not surprised by that. Uh, I'm really curious to see what Doku's potential can be. Right now, I don't see him as much of a passer. I don't really know if he's effective when it comes to clinical decision-making. But he's good. He's very good, and I think he can be a really good rotational piece for Manchester City. But if you're expecting him to get assists or even goals, I would be very patient with him. Uh, it might low-key be like a Jack Grealish thing, where it takes him a whole year, right? A whole year, maybe next season, we actually see Doku realize in a Manchester City shirt. I definitely think we'll see him, though, this season, and he can put in some good minutes. But he's a little raw, for sure. Overall, though, Manchester City put in a crazy performance once again. Fulham tried. I'd say they had a good first half, maybe. But after that, they just really couldn't compete. And we mentioned it before. We saw Paulinha make a crazy impact for Fulham last week against Arsenal. This week, without Paulinha, man, it was night and day the difference, bro. Night and day the difference. Without Paulinha, man, I don't know if Fulham can compete, yeah, yeah. you know? So it's... it's. It makes sense why they needed a replacement for him. Yeah. To go to Bayern, bro. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah. just someone to come in and be somewhat form- formidable. Exactly. Um, cool little thing, though. Uh, you know, just because it doesn't really get talked about. There's four CONCACAF starters for Fulham, right? Anthony Robinson, Tim Ream, the captain... Uh, Raul Jimenez, a nice little USA-Mexico combination. And then Bobby de Cordova-Reed. Yeah, Jamaica, Jamaica. Four CONCACAF starters. Oh, pretty pretty crazy, actually. Yeah, like, if yeah. you really think about it, like, honestly, anywhere in Europe, that would be crazy to see. Yeah. So really cool that Fulham's employing CONCACAF players. Jimenez himself, um, I think, had a great game, honestly. I was going to say, I, I was... Pleasantly surprised with, yeah. with how, he, how he played this game. So much so that I really do hope that Lozano somehow finds a way to get him into Mexico. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not now. Maybe maybe it's soon, though. And maybe it's not. I don't even know what the role would be. If it's, Is it starting? If it's not, we can get into that later. But I do hope that Jimenez just remains in the conversation Same. as a starter. Starting striker for Mexico. Yeah. I just want to put that yeah, out there I because think there's, enough, there's enough there to be to be able to pry and test out with it. That's what I took away from that performance. Exactly. So yeah, I thought Jimenez actually had a great game. You know, against a very very tough team. So yeah, City Fulham five one. My biggest takeaway from that was actually more focused in on Holland himself. Mm. Did you see his interview on Impulsive, bro? Logan Paul's podcast. 
Dude, I loved how insightful it was from the Holland's perspective. Yes, yes. Crazy. One of the biggest things I took away is, I, I, I guess it makes sense seeing the way that he approaches the game and the success he's had so far, but he genuinely is so keyed in yeah, and focused, dude. which says a lot, bro. It's very important. We're talking about, you know, we've seen stars come and go. Ronaldinho, Giovanni Dos Santos, mm. uh, Maradona even. Yeah. Guys who have been, you know, have had their talents slightly skewed because of their love and passion for partying or for the things outside of football. To see a guy like Erling Holland get asked that basically straight up, they're like, do you like to go clubbing? Like, what, what's, what's it like? Like, yeah. do you go partying? He basically showed zero interest, bro. He was like, hell no. He wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> yeah. like, no, I don't really. He was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, even in his time off, he just doesn't have an interest in it. Yeah. He seems so focused on what he wants to do. His relationship with his father stood out to me and how all he wants to do is just make him proud. I was like, damn, Erling, you really do have like some very good core values and motivations that are going to keep him motivated and disciplined and striving for greatness. Yeah. And it's those same things that I think will end up benefiting him and have him you know, do things that will put him in that conversation of, you know, potentially goat territory at one point in his career, man. Like, if he continues at where he's at now mentally, he's going to end up being one of the greatest players we've ever seen on the pitch by the time he's 30, dude. Yes, dude. Um, that, that was, yes, that was my biggest takeaway from that interview. When he highlighted the discipline that he approaches his profession, I was like, oh, okay. He can reach GOAT sta status in his position because of how he approaches him. And like, he doesn't eat anything outside of his diet. Yeah, that was crazy. Any like, 10 months out of the year, he is keyed in, locked in, man. And he, like, the moment he was talking about like, uh, how he sleeps, like, he sleeps like, yeah. eight, like nine to 10 hours and there's no exceptions. No. The, he has to go to bed at a certain time. He wakes up at a certain time. He makes sure it's like pitch black. He was talking about how he doesn't have um, um, blue light. Yes. Blue light for three hours before he goes to bed. Yeah. That's insane. Every day he's putting on those blue light glasses at 7 p.m. or whatever through discipline. Yeah. And I'm like, my God, Erling, like good, good shit, bro. Like <laughs> yeah, bro. really like, good shit. a gem shit. of a signing right yeah, there. Yeah, like you're, you're happy if you're a Manchester City fan seeing someone like that put on your jersey and represent you dude i was thinking about it dude like because you mentioned 10 months out of the year he's going full-on focus discipline like no other like yeah. no other human being but then there's two months where he's technically off right his off months and i was thinking bro even his off months are better than my best months <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah, dude. insane dude with how little he he changes his diet he mentioned that he likes to have pizza every yeah now like and then, once right? a week when he's <laughs> off right like, that means you have Pizza four times a year. <laughs> Good Lord. It's, it's nuts, man. It's nuts. But it's what it takes to be at that level. And yeah, yeah, overall, yeah. I like the interview, man. I really did. And it, it's crazy that they were able to sign him to Prime and be able to create that partnership. But he's just an insane talent, bro. And I want to see the same interview happen, but with Mbappe. I want to oh, see Mbappe talk. Oh, dude. Yeah. I want to see him talk. I want to hear that what he thinks, That would be cool. Bro. I think he's got a little bit more of a... Because Erling, Erling Holland seems to me just very like a robotic mentality, bro. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know what player can compare to that. Mbappe gives me like a Kobe vibe. Yeah. I could see him just kind of being on a more personal level with the game. Yeah. What he wants to do and what he wants to achieve and having different motivations for why he is the way that he is, but still being able to provide the same level of greatness as his counterpart in Erling Holland. 
two different minds, same result. I want to see the interview, bro. That's got to be next. Damn, man. That, that would be amazing to see. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be crazy. Maybe we start doing that. Maybe we get Mbappe on, man. If we got Mbappe, bro. Jeez, Oh, man. man. I remember that. seeing you in Monaco, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to tell everybody, hey, Mbappe, Mbappe, Mbappe. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Nicholas Jackson? Chelsea player Nico Jackson after seeing him have a few appearances with uh, Chelsea now in the Prem what are your thoughts on him I think he's good um revelation I don't think anything close to that uh it just gets weird he had a great season last year with Villarreal a really really good season but like even Enzo Fernandez even Moises Caicedo have weird spells of just bad form at Chelsea and I think, this, I think that can be said about any Chelsea player. I think Jackson is going to be a little consistent this season. He's already been a little bit inconsistent. I, if I was a Chelsea fan, I would just have normal expectations about Jackson. Maybe he scores 10-ish goals throughout the entire season. I would actually call that a success, honestly. I'm not expecting much from him, but I'm also expecting a little bit more than zero. If that makes sense. So, the, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm taking a very neutral approach when it comes to Jackson's performances, especially because, dude, he's, he barely just hit the scene with Villarreal last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's so very, very young and very fresh to the professional scene of football. Yeah, uh, I think I was... He's just being talked about a lot. He had a stinker mm-hmm. against Nottingham Forest. It happens when you're in that position. Sometimes you have a game where just one, two, three, four clear chances just don't go your way. Right. Uh, I was watching the game in Spanish, bro. They were feeling... For Nicholas Jackson. With every miss, it was just sighs like, ah, ah. otra vez. Ay, po- Ay, pobre Nico. Oh, no, Nico. Lo que hace. Que es esto de Nico Jackson? Oh, my. Just a compilation of wallows from the commentators. But you could see it in Nico himself, man. He was frustrated this game. Things weren't landing right for him. And he had one incredibly clear-cut chance that he just absolutely whiffed. One goal out of... Four expected goals if you go by that stat, which is pretty nuts. I know it's, it's easy to discredit that stat, but no, I do bad. think bad, one out of four, four? it's nuts, bro, that's how much bad. he's generated, but hasn't been able to ultimately finish. Here's the thing. Jackson has never led a line. Um, when he was at Villarreal, he was secondary to Gerard Moreno and Loki even Samuel Chukweze, right? Jackson was the third string striker, not from like a bench perspective, but as far as importance. Chelsea, he's already being asked to maybe not be the main guy, but he's asked to be like top two. And you can't do that to a player who's never had that opportunity. So I expect this from Jackson. I'm not surprised when I see this because he's never performed at a consistent level in his career. So that's what I'm saying. Have very normal expectations for Jackson because he has not proven himself to be a consistent scorer. Yeah. It's just tough, though, with how much they spent. I wonder how Pochettino's going to approach this. A player goes cold for one game. He's got seven replacements waiting in the bench. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does he instill that kid with that trust, knowing that at the end of the day, his max potential is 10 goals out of the season? Or does he put someone else in his position that might be able to provide a little bit more prominence? I'm interested to see how Pochettino reacts to this performance, specifically from Nico Jackson, because it did stand out to me how how wasteful he was in this match. But I am aware that he is good. He's got talent. And yeah. It will come in time. I just wonder if he's going to be given that time. Man, if I, okay, that's true. If I was Poachman, I would be experimenting every week. I'd be trying different formations, different personnel, who works better with who. And he should be doing this in training. Like, I, I, 
I'd be very surprised if he just sticks to the same 11 every week. Even if, you know, for example, a player like Mudrik, right, has not proven himself whatsoever yeah, at Chelsea. No. Not proven himself at all. But can he work maybe specific with a specific le- right, left back, right? right? Is there some sort of combination that can actually maximize one of your players? Chelsea have way too many, way too many options. And I think that's ultimately the problem. So I'd actually be disappointed if Jackson's always starting. He needs to be in rotation. I don't think it'd be wise to always start him. There's got to be some sort of movement personnel-wise from Pochettino. So, yeah, if Jackson keeps starting, then I think Pochettino's making a mistake. Nottingham Forest get the win in this match. 1-0 away from home. Actually, wait a second. Who got Brendan Johnson? Tottenham. Tottenham got Brendan Johnson. That's where I was going to go. Yeah. I was going to go Tottenham. Great signing. Tots, man. Tater Tottenham. (laughs) Oh, man. Great signing, dude. Great signing, Great signing to pair alongside... A signing I highlighted in the offseason as one of my favorites, James Phil Coutinho, 2016 Madison, bro. This yeah, dude is dude. playing incredible yeah, football. He, he, he is. Akin to what Coutinho did in 2016. I was watching him, bro. I was like, bro, he looks and plays a very similar style of football. With, as Coutinho, when he was in Liverpool and he had that insane season oh, okay. where he had like 12 okay. goals and nine assists or some shit. Yeah. Playing in between the lines, facilitating the ball turning players around and having an insane arsenal of finishes. He can score from outside the box. He can score in the box. He can score with his head. He can score a volley. It doesn't matter. James Madison has fit like a glove for this Pustikoglu Tottenham side. And I am loving every second of it, dude. Yeah. Killing Burnley in the process. 5-2. Huming Sun hat trick. The whole team vibing. Vibing, dude. Vibing. And now they get dude. Brennan Johnson to add to the, to the equation. Oh, my Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you man. put it like that. Oh, That's man. insane. I'm loving this shit, man. What I love about Madison is that he's a true 10. And that's a dying breed in today's game. But if used correctly, they can be unstoppable at times. And Madison's in the form of his life operating right in between a midfield and the front line of Tottenham, but he's doing it with so much joy, smile on his face, but he has the talent and the effectivity to constantly produce something dangerous. And that's why Madison's so fun to watch, and that's why Coutinho was so good for Liverpool, because when Coutinho was in his prime, he was a creative 10, mm-hmm. truly. Mm-hmm. Madison is exactly that, and any player who prioritizes flair on the ball, I always promote, even if they have a bad game or even if they're, you know, not helping the team with defense. I don't care, man. Like, don't, don't let Madison defend. Just have yeah. him have one thing on his mind and that's somehow attack the opponent yeah. because that's how you use a true 10. And I'm, I'm so glad that Madison's actually finding so much joy with this Tottenham side. Yeah, dude, Tottenham in the top three, I think, of the Prem right now. Yeah. With the way they started the season, really fun, free-flowing football. And Burnley, on the other hand, disappointing to start. What many people would thought would end up being their the best team out of the teams that just got recently promoted. Yeah. I think they started off with three straight losses. What? Mm-hmm. They lost to Man City. Mm-hmm. Lost to Tottenham. They have. They've had a. They've had a rough schedule, though. Yes. They've had a really rough schedule. Uh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did lose to Manchester City and now Tottenham. Yeah. Last place in the Prem right now. God. That's yeah. just unfortunate, though. I, I don't know if I'm going to take that. I'm going to take it with a grain of salt, yeah. for example. 11 goals conceded? It's 11 goals conceded, for sure, for sure. Game. What about uh, losing 3-1 to Aston Villa? Well, I th- see Villa as a very good team, though. At home? I see it as a good team. At home? Yeah, no, I, I, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to me. I'm not surprised by any of the results. I, if I was a bookmaker, I'd have Villa, uh, sorry, I'd have Burnley losing all three of those. Yes. All three of them. Yes. And no question. Yes. <laughs> so... 
I think Burnley. Uh, honestly, they had some good moments against Tottenham, but that that was literally it. Just moments. The overall game was completely managed and dominated by Tottenham. Um, I wouldn't be worried yet if I'm Burnley because I have even against Manchester City. I thought I saw good things. Yeah. Okay. So I wouldn't be worried just yet. Okay. Just yet. It's a slow burn league. Slow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they play Nottingham Forest next. That's, That's going to be a big one. That's going to be a big one. Although Nottingham's actually played pretty well so far. Nottingham. Yeah, I'm loving Nottingham. No Brennan Johnson, though, is going to be a big impact just for the whole season for Nottingham. Arsenal, Manchester United. Caught this. I caught the whole game on this oh, one. Shit. Let me hear what you thought then. <sighs> well, you know, let's just go to the big moment. Declan Rice getting his first goal in Arsenal colors at the Emirates in London. The game mm. winner in stoppage time. Brings it down beautifully. Yeah. A really looping ball. Yeah, he stunned Ooh. the ball. <laughs> he stunned it. And honestly, I don't think the players expected him to do that because he had a lot of so time and space. space. Hits it as hard as he can. Gets a nice little deflection off of Johnny Evans. Goes past Andre Onana. Pure ecstasy for Arsenal. And a much needed but also deserved win at the end of the day. I thought United were competitive, but ultimately... Definitely the second best side on the pitch today. Arsenal completely deserved this win. Um, I thought Arsenal played great, man. I thought they played very, very well. We saw the return of Gabriel Jesus off the bench. Yeah, that's nice to see. And it was actually dude, great yeah. to see because he had an immediate impact on the ball. We talked about it before the start of the season. If Arsenal really want to be serious about going for the title, they need a healthy Gabriel Jesus. God bless Eddie and Cantilla. He's been great this year, but he's just no Jesus. He's just not, and he, he won't be this season. So to see Jesus get minutes and already look pretty good, if he starts, man, I, th- I can see Arsenal getting back into that form that they were able to find last season. But that's kind of my point here. Arsenal's biggest thing, and we saw it last year, and we see it this year too, they go in, they go in offensive flurries yeah, man. where they'll have a 10-minute spell where they are just bombing. The opponent's box, whether it's Martinelli, Trossard off the bench, Bukayo Saka, Martin Odegaard, Vieira off the bench, and now Jesus and Ketia, they go through 10-minute spells where it's just nonstop, nonstop. And they had that today against Manchester United in the first 20 minutes of the game, but they didn't capitalize. They didn't capitalize, and actually what happened instead, Rashford goes on a transition run, beautiful curling goal and they end up taking the lead 1-0 obviously Odegaard gets it immediately back 1-1 but the the only problem I think with Arsenal is that if they don't take advantage during their offensive flurries they go a little cold in between those moments because for as much pace as Arsenal have they're not really known for the transition they're not known to be that's true that dead they're not yeah they're not dead they're not known to be a deadly counter-attacking team and that's okay because in their flurries, but they're unstoppable. But they need Jesus. That's my whole point, is that if Gabriel Jesus, let's just say he was healthy and had started this game, I think they would have gotten two goals early on. And that would have avoided all of the drama to get the three points at the end of the day. And it, again, without Jesus, I, don't, I just don't see Arsenal put doing it. I just don't, And, and man. what did we see Jesus do today? He scored on the counter. Huh? The third goal, he scored it, no? 
Oh, there was, was a, a third goal. Yeah, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. There was a goal, third goal. Completely <laughs> forgot. My bad, my bad. My bad. <laughs> my bad. My bad. We just had to say Yeah, I was tripping. I was like, did I fucking. No, no, you, you're right. You're no, right. You're right. Put on the fucking counter. Completely forgot. Yeah, yeah. But the game was dead. It was a different type of context around the counter attack. Yeah, yeah. But still, what we just criticized about Arsenal not being able to really fully have, Jesus was the one to actually be able to pull it off with this team when he was given that opportunity. And it was beautiful, too. Exactly. And the thing is, Jesus is on the pitch. To finish. That's his number one job, right? Sacco, Martinelli, their job is to penetrate, to get past players one-on-one, to facilitate, to distribute. But Jesus is there to score. And that's why I ultimately, even though it's so obvious, he has to be on the pitch to maximize Arsenal's offensive effectiveness. And without him, in tight, tight games, Arsenal may or may not score, right? But I think with him, their, their chances greatly increase. And they're going to need that if you have Liverpool and Manchester City playing at the rate that they're playing right now. Tottenham. And to- <laughs> low key. And Tottenham. No, yeah, absolutely. Four, and Tottenham, bro. Yeah, I, I agree. But it, it, to me, it did kind of stun me how yet again, dude, Arsenal did this like four times last season. Like insane drama-filled endings to their matches that ended up seeing them win three points. I remember last year at the Emirates, Reese Nelson, Scoring yeah. a game winner outside the box to give them a late victory. This is almost becoming like a a custom, like a, a thing mm. that's almost expected out of Arsenal. They're going to have three or four matches throughout an entire season where it comes down really, really close, but they end up pulling some really, really clutch goals. And it fascinates me, man, because I don't think I've seen another team be able to do it as often as they have. Yeah. And to do it again this time around, knowing what happened last season and how it ended... I mean, they've they've got that fight in them. They got that that passion and care for the title race that I think will end up fueling them in the hopes of having a shot at getting to the title this time around. I just do wonder about the yeah the technical aspects of a Gabriel Jesus, his relationship with the team, his dynamic, and then what other players step up, Martinelli and Saka, how they play this entire season yeah. defensively. I do think they are a little susceptible at times too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But all in all, it's been very impressive so far what we've seen from Arsenal. To quickly highlight the other side of Manchester United, all I can say about them is that yet again, they see themselves starting off a season very slow. Yeah, man. And it's got to be frustrating for a Manchester United fan because every season they go into it with high hopes, wanting to compete and challenge for the title. And then you see yourself drawing games, losing some matches. You get a win here or there, but not playing convincing football. I think they'll pick it up later on throughout the season. But this is why I didn't have him in the top four personally, yeah. Manchester United, was because of this inconsistency throughout an entire 38-game season that, that I see them time and time again fall into. And I, I, I'm getting questionable now with Eric Ten Hag and his tactics and how Same. he sets this team up because it's becoming a little too predictable. Yeah, I'm really disappointed with Man U's start to the season. Their whole qualm for the last five years is we need a manager we need a tactical genius who can lead us for five six years like a Jurgen Klopp right and Tenog was supposed to be that guy he got Champions League football last year in his first year right and in a year that he didn't really have much time to develop the team and he had to do it in real time throughout the season so I thought that round two Eric Tenog we'd see a, a much more established Man United team, not from like a talent perspective, because I think they're still missing some pieces, but at least just from like an insurance perspective to, to know that they can beat pretty much anybody, at least be competitive. But the, what I saw today was the United team that we've seen for the last four or five yeah. years, yeah. pre-Ten Hag. And I'm just like, 
okay, then. What's changed? What's changed? Yeah. Dude, nothing. To, dude, for 60, 70 minutes on this game, they were literally just reacting to what Arsenal was doing. Arsenal played football today. United just used the talents of Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Pathetic from United, honestly. Yeah. Lucky to even be 1-1 that late in the game. Um, so, yeah, that's my take on United. Absolutely. They, they, again, they have the talent to reel it back, as they usually do, and they might. But I'm just overall still disappointed because they should be so much further along. Yeah. And they're just not. Um, Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz. Um, I've been hearing so much, so much shit about this guy, man. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how much like discourse he, he creates. God. God damn. It. <laughs> Good, yeah. And we, we talked about it. Before the season even started, we were like, you know, Kai Havertz is an anomaly. Is he good? Is he not? You know, blah, blah, blah. We, you had that crazy comment where he was like, he could, <laughs> he could be yeah. a blank, blank, blank as yeah. a position player. But one of my takeaways going into the season was I thought that Arteta could actually find his position. Thing is, I actually think he has. I think Kai Havertz is a central midfielder. Here's the problem. I don't know if Kai Havertz has fully accepted that because he finds himself in the most opportune situations in the box, but he has no finishing to back it up. Zero. You see the chance today yes. yeah. where he was basically wide open, one-on-one with Onan at that point. He said, shoot it quick, sure. But dude, like, yeah. hit the ball. You're a professional You're football a professional player, footballer. And good. he whiffed it, bro. Bad. Really bad. To the point where I think Havertz Loki has the yips. Yeah. I, I, I think truly he has forgotten how to shoot the ball. Damn, dude. Markel Fultz of, yeah, of football. Yeah, of football. 100%. I don't think he knows. I don't, truly, I don't think he knows how to shoot anymore. Yeah, man. And it's pretty crazy to think about, but here's the, here's, here's the upside. On the ball, outside of the box, in the middle of the pitch, he's really good. We knew that going into this. At least I did. We did, right? In the sense that... Kai Havertz has immense talent on the ball. His control is incredibly tight, and he makes good decisions in the midfield. So if Kai Havertz can accept the idea that he's a central midfielder and he's to stay behind and facilitate that way, then I think he would actually have a really, really good career. But no longer do I see Kai Havertz as even a remote offensive yeah, threat. That's gone. And, he, and the thing is, I think... Him and Arteta need to have a talk and be like, don't put me, Kavar's saying this, don't put me in situations where I'm in the box because I can't score, Arteta, I can't. Just let me pass, let me facilitate from a midfield position and I actually think it would work because he has shown to be still very, even today, he was actually good in midfield. Obviously, offensively not, but that's the thing. I, I'm not giving up on Havertz yet. But it has to be a complete change in identity, and that's tough to do. I understand. <laughs> yeah, did you uh, did you see the quote that Arteta had to say about him? Because I think he was asked about him in regards to this, and Arteta actually had a conversation with Havertz that he reported over to the media. Whoa! And it's crazy. Today, bro. Fabrizio Romano posted this today after the match. What did he say? Arteta. This is quoting him. I said to Havertz, "Things are hard at the beginning. When I met my wife." At the beginning, it was hard to conquer her. It was hard. <laughs> I had to try and message her and go and go. And at the end, when she says, yes, we can be together, it's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, okay. If, so, yeah. Arteta's basically saying, 
just keep believing in yourself. Right. Which yeah. I don't think is what you want, though, bro. I think there should be a clause. There should be some sort of locker room punishment. Like, if you every time you shoot the ball, you buy the whole team beer. Or yeah. like some shit like that. There's yeah. got to be like a locker room type of punishment where the less you shoot and the more assists you get, right. the bigger incentive. Right. What, what, yeah. I, legitimately, if I was Arteta, I would go to Kai and I'd be like, don't get in the box. Yeah. Don't do it. Stay outside. If you see a shot from 20 yards, yeah. all right, go for it. Don't get in the box. It's not working. Let someone else get there and you just use your talents on the... Yeah, so you're right. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Don't believe in yourself, but like... Believe in yourself in a completely yeah. different way. You yeah. are not a forward anymore, Kai Havertz. You can be so much more, but you have to understand that I think the position that you thought you were going to be is just not that. Yeah. Damn, dude. That's crazy. That's crazy. It's crazy, bro. It's crazy with the type of conversation this dude draws up, bro. <laughs> Good Lord, man. Yeah. And, and just the final, final takeaway on this game, man. Um, so... I think if you've been watching Premier League football, anybody, we've noticed that they've employed the same FIFA tactics as far as how the end of games have gone by having extended stoppage time. We're seeing seven, eight, yeah. ten minute stoppages. And I was thinking about it today because obviously we saw it for the first time at the 2022 World Cup. Mm -hmm. It was a whole thing. It ended up just adding so much more drama, which honestly I liked. I love it. And what I realized today with Arsenal getting the go-ahead goal in late stoppage time. Six minutes. Yeah. I realized it's actually the perfect way to try to settle a draw. I don't like draws, bro. I know it's a part of football. It is what it is. If no one's better than the other, I think draw is fair. You add 10 minutes to the end of a game. It's like a mini extra yeah. time. Yeah. It's so cool because if a team thinks they can get it, well, now you don't have three, four minutes. You have 10. That's plenty of time to build a little bit of momentum, brew some chaos, and get a goal. And I think we're already seeing it in the Prem. We saw it at the Dude, World so Cup, bro. Gonna, are we going to see more game winners? I, th I think so. Yeah, Jude Bellingham with Real Madrid. Exactly, Arsenal bro. Right now. Dude, yeah. And I, I'm, I'm so for it, though, because it, it's exactly that. Instead of going to penalties or having a full 30 minutes, just add 10. If you want it, go for it. If you don't want it, all right, well, then don't go for it. But it's there. And you can go to the flip side, United's perspective. You had a bad game today. You're lucky it's 1-1. If you want to keep this draw, fight for it. It's so cool, man. And it made me think about just even broader perspective. Low-key, and as for as much corruption as there is, FIFA don't miss when they add rules. They're, they're, they're pretty good with it. I'm they're not so yeah, and, good. And I'm already seeing it with what they did at the Women's World Cup, miking up the referees so that when they come back from their VAR decisions, you can hear what they're saying yeah. vocally. I'm, I'm, I was like, man, I love that. Yeah. I love that, bro. Like, yes, there's dude. no question. There's no controversy about that simple little addition. No controversy. It's representative of just overall the goal line technology they implemented. Yes. VAR. I mean, VAR has been the most controversial one, but even now, I can't imagine a game without VAR. No, I, I need VAR. <laughs> I, I need it, bro. And that's the thing. Yes, FIFA just doesn't miss yeah. when they change or add to the rules of the game. And I'm just like, dude, whatever they're doing behind the scenes, whatever scientists they have thinking about how to constantly advance the game, they're doing such a good but job. That one gets me, though, because I never really thought about it. I know. Like, not, that wasn't like a prominent thing that needed to be changed or yeah. switched or, or just adjusted. They just did it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, fuck it. I'm down for it during the World Cup. I came to learn that I actually really liked it. And now that the, these leagues are picking it up, dude, we're seeing amazing moments be 
be generated out of it. Yeah. And I'm all for it too as well, man. You got me hyped. Yeah. You got me hyped. I'm all for it. People want to know, man. Joel Felix to Barcelona. A crazy story that you became a part of four years ago. Mm. 120 million euros mm -hmm, mm -hmm. acquired from Benfica to Atletico Madrid. The most expensive signing in Atletico Madrid's history. A crazy, dramatic four years followed that. And we see Joao Felix now be loaned out mm -hmm. to Barcelona. But it's not about the title of alone. It's about the, the emotion behind it for Joao. Yeah. The fact that it became very clear and obvious that he wanted that move. Right. Reminiscent of the saga that we saw with Griezmann at one point. The difference, that one actually took two, three years to actually happen. Mm -hmm. This one was almost by force. Joao sees himself leave Atletico Madrid and go over to Barcelona. Your thoughts? I don't have much to say here. Joao Felix, from the moment he opened his mouth this summer, I just... Yeah, I looked, I looked the other way because I knew he wasn't a colchonero. He never bought into Simeone's tactics. I think, honestly, since day one, there was, always that there was always that question. Can Felix be as offensive as he was at Benfica under a tactician like Diego Simeone? That was a conversation going into the club. I think it got to his head. He started to believe that there was discourse. And then I think he manifested that out, and it just never worked. There's never been really a spell of over two, three weeks where Felix looked good for Atletico. Super spotty throughout his entire career here in Spain or in Madrid. And yeah, I mean, good riddance. Honestly, like, I'm glad to have him gone. I hope, I hope after this loan, he doesn't really come back. I hope that we just ship him off. We get some money because, yeah, he just never bought into it, bro. And if you're not going to buy into Atletico, then yeah, what are you doing here? You got to buy into. Yeah, you got to buy into it, bro. To. You you got to. If if you don't want it, then get out, you know? And I th I think he realized that this summer, good for him. But yeah, I just I don't want him to be a part of my club no more. I just don't. And he's dead to me essentially. Essentially. But I think ultimately do you concede that this was this was a miss from Atletico's board? Well, if you think about it, not even from Atletico. If you think about it, like biggest busts over the last like 10 years, Felix has got to be top 10 maybe just because of the price tag. Mm -hmm. He costs the same as Jack Grealish. <laughs> I think even more, man. A little more. Is, that's Caicedo money, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So you do that comparison, Felix is nothing. You don't think there's more for him to give to, to produce? At the, like, do you think he's reached his peak? Oh yeah, you yeah, think yeah. So? I, I even so much so that like, it's not even about him working out at Atletico. I don't know if Felix is actually that good. You don't think he's that good, right? Very good on the ball. Has great ideas. He can can be inventive, but I don't think Felix can produce on a consistent basis. Not at the highest level. Take him back to Portugal. Sure, I think yeah. he could score 20, 25 goals a season. Why not? But when you start getting top five territory, Felix can be good and obviously he can fit in with anybody but if you're asking him to assist if you're asking him to score i don't know if felix can do it at any of the highest levels disappointing but yeah it's, it's just disappointing right yeah. uh so yeah i mean yeah so felix well, yeah, it's just how it is hope is that let's see how much atletico can get for him if they can bamboozle somebody in the market bro right I, honestly if they can even get half of that back if i could get 50 for him that's a dub. That's a dub, bro. And I'd be very happy with that. 
I think he could be a $50 million player. He has incredible technique. So I think we could, you know, in today's inflated market, I think we could send money. I just get excited because if we can, then hopefully we can just get some sort of solidity in an offensive position by buying somebody, man. Yeah. So yeah, that's my whole hope here. Maybe next year in the offseason, we, we actually purchase a good offensive player. Quickfire? There's a little um, quickfire results that I kind of want to just mention. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Brighton, Newcastle. Ferguson. Ferguson. <laughs> uh, crazy result, man. Yeah. Crazy result. Uh, just very quickly, Brighton. I just, I, I'm going to say this every time they win by a large margin. I can't believe they're still this good. Yeah. Cannot believe it. Yeah. Such a well-run club. What's even crazier, with inclusion of Fati, that's going to be phenomenal. If João Pedro was a little bit better, they would be just as good as when they had Trosan and Caicedo. Yeah. It's crazy how well they've been able to fill in the holes that have left Brighton and immediately too. But it's taken it's a club like Manchester United a decade to fill some of their yeah. holes, man. Yeah. Brighton are doing it over one singular offseason. It's so impressive. Newcastle, on the other hand, it's like it's like the opposite story. Like they can't find the consistency that they had last year. And I think that's just more testament to how good. Brighton is from an identity perspective because you know they have one way to play it's beautiful and it's incredibly effective man Brighton dude up the standout was Ferguson my question regarding him is people are already posting like oh how much are how much is Brighton gonna sell him for right 18 years old from Ireland playing at a crazy rate but I saw a comment just in some Twitter thread actually make a really great point he said at this point why would Brighton sell him especially with what they're building what they're becoming now within not just the Prem, but world football, getting Ansu Fati, they're, at some point, they're going to make the jump from being where they are right now to being a club that doesn't sell, but buys and brings that in players. Nuts, when will we see that transition happen? It didn't happen this past offseason, right, with McAllister right, right. and Caicedo leaving. But at some point, if they continue this level of success, I think they'll be able to have the funds to securely be able to handle the wages of a guy like Evan Ferguson and have him for seven years perhaps like it could start with him so i'm interested to see with evan ferguson specifically do they end up selling him or is he like the first is he like the poster boy for the future of brighton and then eventually becoming like a top six club in england dude that's a crazy thing to say because if, <laughs> if brighton end up becoming a buying club they will have done something that i don't know if any oh, yeah. club has ever done yeah to completely change the history of a club that they are without huge investment from like oil money. Yeah. That would be crazy. And I don't even know if we'd ever see anything like it again. <laughs> oh my God. That, yeah. That's crazy. Cause like an anomaly, you look at Benfica, you know, their whole wall that their, their whole hurdle and why they can't be a big spending club is the league that they play in. Right. Brighton are in the best league in the world. And they're also in the most lucrative league in the world. Football wise. So if they can find a point where they're actually bringing more money than they are spending, then yeah, they could make that transition. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I've For never me, seen a team do it. That's the thing. I feel like history in football is so powerful that you know, if you just are a selling club, it might be all you ever will be. But if Brighton can change that, that'd be nuts. Hey, Europa League this year. Yes. Europa yes, start League. With, start with that. Come on, man. I, Go make, I, a, make a deep run in that geez. would be nuts, bro. It'd be it's nuts. It's got to be a Liverpool-Brighton final, man. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome, Let's keep man. it English. Let's keep it English, bro.
Uh, quick fire. Uh, Flamengo Botafogo happened in Bo- in Botafogo Stadium. This is a team that had a 12-point lead, I believe, at the time. Okay. Chiquinho Suarez finally coming back from injury. He was out for like three weeks. I was worried about how Botafogo would handle that. They got knocked out of the Copa Sudamericana by Defensa y Justicia. So they're focusing uh. in on the league. Yeah. Flamengo comes into town and they win. Okay. 2-1. Bruno Enrique with a beautiful outside-the-box banger makes nice. it 2-1. Giving Palmeiras, who's in second place, the opportunity to cut the lead down to single digits. But they ended up tying against Corinthians today. So 0-0 result. Botafogo ends up being just fine. Let's keep it in South America. Copa Libertadores semifinals have been set. I am on the fucking ropes, my friend. What is it? I made a bold statement a while back for context and that no Brazilian team would lift the Copa Libertadores trophy this time around despite their dominance in recent years. Brother, we have three Brazilian teams in the semifinals and only one non-Brazilian team. The first semifinal is Fluminense against Internacional, Uh both from Brazil. And then Palmeiras against the last shining light, (laughs) Boca Juniors. Boca. Boca, bro. Okay, okay. Those are the situations. That's what's at stake. I need Boca to beat the second best team in Brazil right now. And then to beat another Brazilian team yet again in the final. Otherwise, bro, shambolic take for me. Right. Uh, that's that's what's at stake. We'll see. We'll wait. Yeah. We'll uh, wait. Yeah. We'll kind of we'll have wait. a chance. They have a chance. They they have they always have a chance. Yeah. They always have a chance. And uh it'd be nice if they could come through for me in this situation. Uh Juarez, joint top of the table, at least going into the shoot. Uh, Atletico San Luis also having a really, really good season. But Juarez, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I've been wondering if they've been able to, if they would be able to crack into top four, top five in Liga Mekis. And I think they've finally found some joy. They played against Mazatlan this past weekend, and dude, they scored some bangers. Absolute bangers. Standout player that I want to highlight. They just got this new player from Colombia, Diego Valoyes. Dude's good, man. He's really, really good. Reminds me of kind of like a Leo Fernandez, the mm. ex-Toluca mm-hmm. player. Diminutive style. Uh, very good, very quick on the ball. More of a creator, facilitator type player. I think the difference between him and Fernandez is I think Valoy is, is actually more of a passer, right? Fernandez was always really eager to just penetrate and go at teams. But I think Valoy is actually low-key a little smarter with his decision-making and maybe even a little bit more um, precise with his passing. So... Valerius actually might end up really putting Juarez into that upper echelon of having a yeah. chance of having a good oh, run man. this year in Apertura. See Juarez lift the Liga and Mekis title. It'd be crazy. That'd be one of the crazy results in the past 10 years, bro. Yeah. That'd be a historic result. His, you know, it'd be historic, historic man. I just, uh, it was at Juarez. Wish they had uh, more people who cared. Yeah. Napoli played Lazio as well this past weekend in Napoli. Lazio get the win 2-1. That's nuts. Nuts, because Lazio played last week. I saw them play. They were terrible. Did not play well. It's you know Lazio so inconsistent, uh-huh. especially last year. Managed to get a top four finish. And it's because of performances like this where they just go off all of a sudden. Not that Napoli played bad, but Lazio's second goal to take the lead. Luis Alberto with a filthy, dirty little back Flick finish, bro. I encourage everybody to go see it. It's just filth, pure filth, man. And 
Luis Alberto, the painter, the artist, the yeah, creator, what do you yeah. even want to call the craftsman, the carpenter? Like, yeah. he's <laughs> doing some beautiful things out there for Lazio. And they end up getting the win. Napoli, uh, I've seen a couple of their games this season so far. I think they'll definitely have what it takes to defend their title. I think it's going to be much. It's going to be, tough it's going to be much harder this year, oh. though, because yeah. of both Milan sides, and then you still have some, you know, mid-tier teams like Lazio, and yeah. honestly, Juventus as well, who can honestly make a top four yeah. case. Bro. And they went on. They just went on a crazy run for like twenty games last year, and by the end of it, they were already like fifteen points. Clear. It was one. That's not happening this year, bro. It's That's not, not happening. happening. I don't yeah. care how well they play. Felipe Anderson. I can't believe he's still on this Lazio team at 32 years old. It feels like he's been there forever, man, and yeah. he's still a prominent part of the team. I think he had a couple assists in that match, dude. Oh, yeah, no. Felipe Anderson is one of the most interesting cases of a footballer because he's only good at Lazio. He tried leaving. I think he went to Porto. When Porto actually made a deep run in the Champions League, dude, he was on the bench, never played. Isn't that crazy? Like they had Porto had that talent to utilize, yeah. but he wasn't good enough to get in that eleven. Yeah. <laughs> but when he goes to Lazio, he's their star player alongside Luis Alberto, and he's starting every single match. So bizarre. But yeah, Felipe Anderson is Lazio and Lazio only. Is Castellanos getting any minutes? He does. Uh, yeah. So he does, but it is minimal, yeah, man. And I forgot. And here's why. So Lazio. Only play one striker, as most teams do, right? Here's, here's the thing. Their one striker that they play, one of the most historic Italian strikers right now, Ciro Immobile. And if you're, if you're any coach, if you're Italian, you put Immobile up against Tati Castellanos, yeah. you're just going to go with the name. And Immobile has deserved it, bro. I mean, he's one of the best goal scorers in Serie A. And he has the talent to be very, very consistent, be very lethal in front of goal. So I get it. I get it. I just wish they tried Castellanos just a little bit more because in the few minutes that he comes on, he's eager. Like, he's, he's going at it already. But, dude, he's getting max five minutes a game. Ah, max. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that'll yeah. be a long journey then. It's going to be a long journey. It's going to be a second, second half of the season type of player. Yeah, it's gonna, what it's going to take is Immobile is going to have to go cold. Like, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt. He might not score for five games, and he's still going to start. Imboli is going to have to go on a huge drought for Castellanos to start getting meaningful minutes. Either that or Imboli gets injured or something. That's the yeah. only way. Yeah. Let's do Germany real quick. Bayern Munich going down to Borussia Mönchengladbach 1-0, coming back, winning that game 2-1. Bundesliga is getting weaker, bro. Yeah. It's getting weaker. Leipzig lost... Just crucial pieces. And Kunku, Gavardiol, Soboslai. I mean, come on, man. They have incredible talent. Yeah. And although they have Xavi Simons already popping off for him, three goals, two assists in the season so far, they're not going to have what they used to have in prior years. And I think that's going to that's gonna show this year. So I think they're dropping in quality. A team like Freiburg was challenging for top four, top five last year, losing Players like Mark Flecken going to, what was it, fucking Burnmouth or some shit? Some Br Premier League uh, Brentford. side? Brentford. Brentford. And losing players overall this transfer window, and I didn't see enough from them in terms of reinforcement that I think will end up benefiting them this season. They're already off to a somewhat cold start. And the biggest challenger, Dortmund, which we already nah, talked about. Yeah. They've grown a lot weaker this year. Yeah. They will not be challenging for the title, in my opinion. If there's one team that has even the smallest sliver of opportunity... 
it's going to be the German team that I essentially pledged my allegiance to last year with their run in the Europa uh, League. Bayer Leverkusen okay. leads the table right now in the Bundesliga, winning all three games that they've had so far. Signing Victor Boniface, four goals, two assists already from Union St. Giloais. Yeah. Playing incredible football, bro. Nigeria has some insane talent up front to pair alongside him and guys like Osimen and uh, what's the guy from Nottingham Forest? Adebayo? Oh, Awoni. They have some incredible talents, and Victor Boniface is showing why. Yeah. Um, and then what I love about what Bayer Leverkusen has done so far, because they defeated Darmstadt to, uh, yesterday 5-1, like they absolutely Jeez, killed okay, them, nice. is that despite them losing a guy like Musa Diaby, who's like a big offensive force for him, they still have a lot of talent that can just kind of replace them almost. Guys like Frimpong, Florian Wirtz, Palacios, the Argentine, Shaka, uh, Granite Shaka oh, has already yeah. made himself at home there, having That's three right. amazing performances. Spaniard, Grimaldo, coming from Benfica, joining this team as well. And then Jonas Hoffman from Borussia Mönchengladbach joining the team too. They got some reinforcements, man. And I'm just saying, keep an eye on Bayer Leverkusen to see if they can do something special.